Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. All right, what's up, Bells fans? Welcome to another episode of The Bird Calls. I'm your host, contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis. Today, we're comparing the 17-18 Pelicans with the 18-19 Pelicans, as well as previewing training camp and uh, some mailbag stuff. So to help me out, first up, we have our fearless leader, editor-in-chief, and current kitchen remodeling expert, Ali Cosell. How are those contractors treating you, Ali? Well, I... <laughs> I'm not going to talk about them. What I'm going to talk about is the fact that I'm moving my mother-in-law this weekend, so I'm tired of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and there's our first expletive. 20- Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time. But the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Seconds into the podcast. Uh, also, we have joining us uh, the man who was viciously assaulted by a ruthless puppy. The pictures are on Twitter to prove it. Kevin, how is your face, man? It's it's fine. Um, I had like a very weird couple of days. Like I did my terrible turnaround shift during the blood moon where everybody was insane. And then I couldn't sleep because I had uh, crazy work nightmares and went straight to work. And then I got off of work. Uh, my girlfriend treated me out to the most amazing sushi dinner ever. Then she's dog sitting. So there's these two puppies that were jumping all over me. And then they jumped. One of them jumped up and knocked this giant framed picture off of the wall and the frame fell down and landed right behind my glasses, knocked my glasses off and busted my eye open. And I was like bleeding and I have like this giant purple <laughs> swollen bruised eye on, underneath my eyelid. It looks like I'm wearing eyeshadow. Um, and then I think I was slightly concussed because during the night I couldn't sleep. And then um, I was like thinking in my head, I was like, man, those dogs would be our... If you think about those dogs as ballpark concessions, they're all right. And in my head, that made sense at the time. And then a few minutes later, I was like, I must be concussed because that makes no sense. 
Like, I don't so, know what that. So due to concussion uh, protocol, Kevin Barrios is listed as day to day. So uh, to help us to help us out with him, we also have David Grubb, who is experiencing uh, his own farm issues right now with his dog, who has currently uh, been fixed, and she is being nursed back to health. How's that going? It's going well. She was very very lethargic and and uh, didn't want to eat, but now today she's a little got a little more pep in her step. So um, we're, we're working on a speedy recovery for little Miss Macy. Oh, that sounds really nice. I remember when we got our cat and we declawed her. Uh, it was it was my number one rule if we were going to bring a cat home because uh, we actually went to the shelter to bring home a dog and I had to go to work. So my wife uh, stayed behind. And uh, about an hour later, I get a text from her and she sends me a picture and she says, is this all right? So uh, my one stipulation was that we declawed her. And while they're declawed, they're supposed to stay in a confined space so they can't, you know, really move around and hurt themselves. So my wife actually stayed in the closet with my cat for 36 hours while she recovered. Anyway, we're talking way too much about pets. Let's get to the Pelicans on this podcast, finally. Uh, and let's start uh, with our, our three new wings, and I'll start with Ollie. We've got Garland Green, Troy Williams, Kenrick Williams. Uh, I'll give you guys some details on them as we go along. But let's just start with you, Ollie. You've got some information about these guys and some nice write-ups on the birdrights.com. Who is your favorite to potentially either make the team or earn a two-way contract? I'm going with Troy Williams simply because he's already played uh, the last couple seasons. He's totaled like a little bit over 50 games played. And you know what? His highlights look pretty good where this guy's diving all over the court. Um, he, he actually cares on defense, goes for rebounds. He loves to attack the rim. All these things that you kind of want to see that we really didn't see out of a lot of our wingmen. So he has some, like I said, some really good highlights. You can find them on YouTube. And I, and I found a few. And uh, he's, he performed pretty well in the summer league as well. Um, where he, he basically shows a nice explosiveness where, you know, he, he shows where a six, six guy can throw down over pretty much anybody. And um, he, he's got some pretty good uh, rebounding and steal numbers. And this guy can actually make a three pointer as well. So I don't know, like I said, Troy Williams is somebody that I know the New York Knicks fans really hated seeing going, but it was a process by elimination as to where I think they had 14 guaranteed contracts or something like that before making a decision on, uh, not bringing him back. So Pelicans went out and grabbed him as soon as they could. And I think that's a good move. Yeah, he played about 18 games last year, 17 minutes per game, seven and a half points, three and a half rebounds and one steal. And he shot 49% and 33% from the floor. He, of course, is joined by Garland Green. And I think I'm mispronouncing his name. Is it Ken Rich Williams? Let's uh, shoot it over to Kevin. Who is your favorite of these three? Um, before today, I really only had much... Um you know, insight into Garland Green from just watching him in Summer League, and I wouldn't even call that much insight because it was only a few handful of games. Uh, but, I, you know, I liked what I saw. Like, you could feel him as a steadying presence on the court. He was talking a lot on defense. And I think that got, that kind of player is a good player to have at the end of your bench. Or is it – he's not much of a – I wouldn't really consider him for two-way two because two-way you're kind of trying to find, like, a younger guy that you can develop and break through. But – when you're talking into the bench, a guy that might get some minutes in the game just for a little bit or just to use in practice, um, I think he fits that mold. But today I was able to have some time to watch some uh, Troy Williams uh, highlights as well. And uh, I think he looked pretty good. And I could see him making that move as well because he um, 
you know, I, I watched a game where he played in Houston where he started a, a game. He was playing alongside Lou Williams, and he was lighting it up from three. I know his stats show that he's not a great shooter, but I also saw, like, some Knicks uh, game tape. They, like, had a guy that, like, broke down things, and it was even, like, more than just highlights. It was like, here's some shots he missed, but why this is a good shot, and this is, uh, you know, him doing these certain things on defense and pointed out that he looked like a heady defender and he was very active. So I think he's a kind of guy that could also, you know, make the roster. So I'm thinking maybe Troy Williams uh, sort of leapfrogged Garland Green for me, and I don't know anything about Kenrich Williams, so I'm not going to pretend to know anything about him. All right, that's a nice transition. Before we get to Grub, I'll tell you a bit about him. He is infamous for his unique haircut, which is uh, referred to as the shag, uh, a very reminiscent haircut of the 60s or 70s. There's a nice article on him on sportsillustrated.com written by Jake L. Fisher, if anybody wants to find him on Twitter. It was written just June 20th, so uh, it's pretty recent, just about a month old. Some info on him, 40% from three last year, uh, uh, a high confident uh, release. He helped Texas Christian to a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, he also averaged four assists per game on the wing, and he spearheaded 125 pick and rolls as a ball handler, uh, generating a terrific 1.048 points per possession per synergy sports. This is all lifted directly from that article. And he said, quote, every game I feel more comfortable coming off the ball screen. So just a little tidbit about him. Grub, of these three, which one are you most uh, keen on? Um, right now, I'm, I think I'm still a little bit more um, high on Garland Green, even though, you know, I watched a lot of uh, Williams last year when he was with the Knicks. Um, I just like Green uh, for a couple of reasons. I think, you know, his maturity, again, for the end of the bench, you're not looking for a develop, developmental player. Um, so he's, he spent a few years abroad. Uh, and I like the way his numbers were trending. It's very similar to what you saw with Darius Miller. You know, each year uh, his, his offensive numbers got better. Uh, the, he was, you know, playing very good minutes. He was over a 40% three-point shooter last season, and uh, he shot very well from the field. And then I think the biggest thing that you that you like when you look at Green is that he got to the line a lot. And the Pelicans need guys who are aggressive at going to the basket and uh, creating some, you know, some foul uh, and free throw opportunities for themselves. So if he does that, if he comes in and does that, I think that that – is something that they, they, you know, the, the management and the coaching staff would really be looking uh, to see if he can continue to do that. It's obvious that they, they liked of what they saw probably mostly obviously in practice out of him and, and his demeanor during games. But I, I give him a, just a, a slight edge over um, Williams because I think Williams is also probably looking for more playing time than what the Pelicans may have available, whereas Green is trying to get his foot in the door and, at, you know, it would be probably um, – easier to accept an end-of-the-bench role if it gets him in. All right. Now, that question was from Joman. We've got another one coming from him later in the podcast. Uh, before we get to that, obviously, the Pelicans are pretty close to their 15 roster limit with all of these potential signings. And two players that the Pelicans have yet to make a definitive decision on are DeAndre Liggins and Emeka Okafer. We'll start back with Ali. Based on the guys that they're bringing into camp right now, what does this potentially say about the future of DeAndre Liggins? And then we'll get to Emeka Okafer a little bit later because obviously these three players are indirect competition for those Ligands minutes. Yeah, when you, when you factor not only the competition with these three, but actually who else is coming back. And you know what? Ligands doesn't have quite the size to be a traditional small forward. Uh, he's definitely on the outside looking in. 
and he's got a guaranteed date coming up here at the very end of the month. I want to say it's right at, uh, what is it, the last day here in July as for his entire contract, I think, is going to guarantee. So the Pelicans basically have less than, was it, three days to decide on whether they want to keep him around or not. And you've just got to expect that they will not keep him around. Um, they have the money, but it's more, as you just mentioned, presence the roster spots. So you got to think not only is maybe they'll want to sign one of these three guys are going to look at training camp, but of course there's always uneven trades in the NBA and the Pelicans obviously want to shore up of quite a few positions, not just one or two guys they are looking for. There's actually, I would say, you know, they've got at least three different needs. So I don't foresee him sticking around once August 1st comes around. All right. And uh, just one thing to keep an eye on. I remember last year, Jordan Crawford was in a similar position when he was set to be fully guaranteed somewhere around the end of July or early August. And the Pelicans just simply pushed that uh, that guarantee date back to November. So that's definitely a conversation his agent and the Pelicans front office could have if they came to him and they said, look, we're not going to guarantee him now. Either we're going to waive him or he can take his chances in training camp and try to earn that position and that guarantee outright. Something that we saw last year that that could come to fruition this year as well. Let's go back to Kevin. Hey, real quick, Preston. I'm real, yeah. real quick, I just looked it up, and DeAndre Ligon's salary actually doesn't fully guarantee until next January. What's coming okay. up here at the end of July is uh, it's just going to guarantee at seventy five thousand. So, actually, I think we should all expect him to maybe stick around up until at least through training camp, because uh, you know that's what a, just like a bump of twenty five thousand more, and the Pelicans have around ten million at least to spend. So. I can see them paying that to him. So he'll be around probably through training camp. All right. Good information. Let's get over to David Grubb. Uh, when there are, sorry, I skipped Kevin. Let's start with Kevin. Kevin, on opening day, do you see Liggins and Emeka Okafor on the opening day roster? I see Okafor and po- possibly Liggins. Like I said last pod, I think right now you have Del Demps talking to teams and trying to figure out some variation of Agenta with either both uh, Liggins and Okafor or one of the other paired together in a trade to get another piece. And, um, you know, he's just waiting for the asking price to be something he's comfortable with and moving them. And then, so it's hard to say if they're going to be on the roster because it depends on how long he wants to wait to make those moves and uh, what that move will bring back. Um, but, you know, I think Liggins is tied to Agenza in a trade. So it just depends on when they want to make that move or not um, is when he's going to. And if that falls apart, then I think he's going to be waived and they're going to give some of these other guys a shot because they know what they got with Liggins. And it's not a really a, a knock on him, but he's not a needle mover or really a guy that they would expect to get minutes. So why not audition somebody else to see if they can have a breakthrough? Definitely. Uh, and Grub, so I, I guess Kevin is Kevin. Are you insinuating that you expect Liggins to be on this roster up until the point he's traded, even if it should come in January? Right. Or if the trade uh, falls apart, then he'll get waived. You know, if there's like trades that they're talking about, and they're just like, ah, forget it, and then he'll get waived. But I think he's not. I mean, he's not on the future. They don't plan to end the season with Liggins on the roster. Is the best answer I can give you. All right, David, uh, we, we've talked a good bit about Liggins and definitely weigh in on that. But also Mecca Okafor, there's still some free agents that the Pelicans have been tied to in rumors. And of course, I'm referring to Greg Monroe as well as some of the others. Do you think that a Mecca Okafor at age 36 is kind of on his way out of the league and the Pelicans will opt for someone younger or potentially a, a bigger name like a Monroe? Or do you think the Pelicans are confident with him going forward? Well, I just I don't see a reason to go after Greg Monroe at this point. 
um, just because, again, with the, your main rotation at the bigs, with your bigs is, is set um, among those, uh, among Miritich, Davis, and Randall. Um, so you want a guy who's comfortable playing not a whole bunch of minutes. And I think Okafor has shown that in spurts, he can still defend the rim. Uh, he doesn't require the basketball in his hands. Um, so I think, and he's, and you know, there's a comfort level that he already has. So I think unless somebody with a similar cost and a similar skill set, you know, who's, con- who's willing to be that other guy, like almost an emergency break the glass kind of uh, fourth big, then I don't really see a reason for the Pelicans to go out and try to hunt for somebody at this stage. Um, I'm sure there will be better bigs available, but today, right now, unless, like Kevin said, unless there's a trade that brings you in somebody who's going to be a better contributor, um, I wouldn't be in a rush to push Okafor out of the door because just because his cost is so cheap and you know what you get out of him. And the other name I was searching for is Trevor Booker, as well as JaVale McGee was rumored at one point, and there were some others that I, I can't remember offhand at right now. So we should expect these guys to to beat out Kenrich Williams, Troy Williams, and Garland Green, uh, and I'm referring to DeAndre Liggins. Is that is that pretty much the consensus? I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I still think Liggins is hanging on an edge. I mean, you know, he could be part of a trade. I don't think Kevin's you know off base. I just think that you know. Um, it's just as likely that he just does get flat out beat out by one of these other two guys or maybe even two out of thing... three. <clears throat> oh, Sorry, get in there. All right. I just wanted to jump in and add just one thing about Okafor that we really haven't talked about yet is the fact that, you know what, he actually fit in really well with this team last season. That's why I know he's a little bit older and there's maybe some better looking or younger guys out there as free agents, but you know what, with a Mecca, he, seamlessly almost fit right in the locker room. And guess what? The Pelicans actually played their best defense. And I know, Preston, you harped on this a lot. When he was out there starting alongside Anthony Davis, allowing Davis to play at the four. So my thought is, what if Anthony Davis has to miss a few games? You know, that's almost going to be a given. Do you really want to just rely on Diallo um, backing up both Miritich and Randall? I think I'd feel a lot better from the Pelicans and the management if Okafor is sitting there kind of as a fifth big. Because you, 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 I don't think you can rely on anything that Agensa may be able to provide, especially since he's probably likely to be traded at any day. So you don't have any kind of security with him either way. So I just think Okafor makes infinitely more sense than um, Liggins or really any other center that you could replace him with on this roster. And uh, like I said, Preston, you were real high on him last year. Were you Remember when you were always saying, I don't understand why this guy isn't starting anymore, even not even seeing minutes. Um, I think we've forgotten actually of how well he played. And you can add anything to that if you want. No, I definitely am just as high on Emeka Okafor as you are. And I, I thought in spurts specifically against the, the Portland Trailblazers, I thought he earned a look just based on the on the way that he played against Yusuf Nurkic in the regular season. Obviously, they didn't end up needing him. I don't think any of us were aware just how effective Nikola Miritich was going to be uh, at defending Yusuf Nurkic. Did uh, an excellent job. My worry as far as Emeka Okafor's future with the Pelicans doesn't doesn't stem from what we saw in his regular season minutes it's more from the hand that the pelicans uh showed in the playoffs never giving okafer a meaningful minute during that stretch run the final four games of the season that the pelicans absolutely had to have 
in that win streak. I want to say against the Clippers, the Spurs, the uh, the Warriors, and I, I can't remember who the fourth team was, but Okafor didn't get any meaningful minutes in those games either. Czech Diallo was the one who was getting the run with the guys in the second unit, and I thought that was pretty telling that the Pelicans really want Diallo to step up and to take those Emeka Okafor minutes, and if that is the direction that the franchise is leading, there really isn't a place for Emeka with Julius Randle playing some of those minutes, with Nikola Meritich playing some of those minutes, with Anthony Davis and Czech Diallo kind of filling out that front court rotation unless you guys are considering Nikola Meritich to get heavy minutes at the three, I do anticipate him getting somewhere around 15 minutes per game at the three. But any any minutes beyond that, if you put him at 30 to 35 minutes per game, a lot of those minutes are going to have to come at the four and the five. So I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll pass it back to Kevin. What do you see as the future of Emeka Okafor? And if, if everyone is relatively healthy, how many minutes per game do you think he sees? Well, I don't think it really matters how many minutes he gets. I think at this point, I mean, don't get me wrong. I agreed with you. I like the way he played, and I think he can still be a positive contributor. But I think one of the main things that he's going to do this year is provide the veteran leadership that we lose when we lost Rondo. There's no uh, older veteran on this team. And, you you know, also you're trying to develop Czech Diallo, and you have this guy that can help you do that. Um, so I think that's his intangibles and his locker room stuff and his IQ. And his calming presence and um, his experience is what uh, is going to keep him on this roster. I think he's going to stay on the roster and, you know, they'll play him when they have to because, you know, we have that great three-man rotation and I'm sure they still want to see if Czech Diallo can be a contributor in there. So um, I don't think you're going to see a lot of minutes from Okafor unless there's an injury to one of the other big men. And, and and I I don't know how much we want to read into the end of the regular season and whatnot either. Because, you know, he was coming back from a long layoff. And even if he kept himself in great condition, by the end of that run, you know, I can imagine some fatigue set in. Again, he is 36 years old. Even though he wasn't logging heavy minutes, there's still NBA minutes. Mm-hmm. And the pace of the teams that they were facing down the stretch were, uh, you know, mostly up-tempo teams. And he was getting the bulk of his minutes as a starter when he came back especially during the, uh, the 10-game win streak. And he just wasn't starting at the end of the season because Davis at the center was their best option. So I just think the matchups and then the, the way the season fell was um, just changed it rather than, I think, any loss of effectiveness or confidence in what he was able to do. Yeah, Mecca's just security. That's the way I'm looking at him. Mm-hmm. It's not a menace thing at all. You, you're not going to gauge his value at all by that for next season. It's security and somebody you can rely on if somebody does go down ahead of him, somebody that can jump in who's already kind of familiar with the system and knows the locker room well. And as Kevin alluded to, I didn't even know this, but I just looked it up. He's looking like he may be the only guy uh, 30 years old or older next season for the Pelicans if they do retain Uncle Four. The only other guys that could possibly fit in that mold is Liggins and Agensa. And like I said, we, none of us expect Liggins to make it through the season or Agensa. So, yeah, I like that argument by Kevin. All right, and I don't think you, you worry about Okafor making the mental mistakes, too. And I think, like Kevin said, being as a mentor to a guy like Diallo, but also to the rest of that locker room, he's a guy who does not make mental errors. No, and he played terrific fundamental uh, 
defense and offense. Uh, the, the only guy on the roster who was really effective and willing to to set screens, just fundamental defense all around, uh, still had burst. I don't think the Pelicans necessarily really slowed down with him in the lineup. I know they inserted Diallo near the end of the regular season, the playoffs, in order to quicken the pace uh, to a, to an electric uh, point of emphasis almost. But I, I really saw, I really liked what I saw from Okafer. He turns 36 this month, or next month, sorry. Uh, so... He, he is getting up there. Other guys like Okafer at 30, and I'm sure some other guys will come available. Um, of course, we've talked on this podcast about Kem Birch. There's not going to be a whole lot of room for him in Orlando uh, with Timothy Mozgov and Mo Bamba and Nikola Vucevic and uh, potentially Byron Mullins, uh, who could earn their two-way contract anyway. They're pretty heavy over there. But it should somebody shake loose, that's definitely a, a, a spot on the roster that could become available to another young premium player should Dell be able to find someone. Uh, everybody met, ready to move on? We all good on Okafer? Mm-hmm. All right, let's let's talk about starting. We've got a lot of questions on this depth chart. Who's going to start? Uh, obviously, I've had my reservations about Alfred Payton in the starting lineup. I like him coming off the bench. With that being said, it is a natural fit. Uh, I don't think many of us are going to want Ian Clark in there unless Solomon Hill is starting at the three, in which case you might want some more floor spacing. But this is a question from Hot Pelicans Takes. He says, do you think Gentry is possibly considering starting Drew at the one again and having Peyton come off the bench, or is he strictly a two at this point? Before I turn it over to you guys, obviously Drew Holiday spent a lot of his minutes last season. I think it was 40% of his minutes at the one, so he will be playing the one. But in terms of starting at the at the tip of the game, who do you guys see? Rudy Rock uh, commented, he sees it as Peyton, Drew, Nico, Randall, and AD, and that's something that Joel Myers prefaced as well on Sirius XM. Let's start with Ollie. Who is your starting lineup, and do you see a world in which Drew Holiday moves back to the one? I do. My expectation is that all these guys that came in, everybody's going to have a fair chance at grabbing the starting reins, and that includes Alfred Payton more than really anybody, because uh, I think – as a coaching staff talked about all last season, uh, even right before they acquired Rajon Rondo, how much they preferred seeing Drew Holiday play off the ball. That's why they liked Tim Frazier running with him for so many minutes uh, in the previous years. So you've got to think that's what they're going to be aiming for. But you know what? If Peyton doesn't grab hold of these reins, as you like to say, Preston, and I've, I started watching some film, and you know what? I've, I've got some reservations. I want to watch a lot more before I say anything, but – I really can foresee the starting lineup ending up on day one being Drew Holiday at the one, each one more at the two, Solomon Hill at the three, and then, you know, take your pick, Randall and Meritich, even though I still lean to Randall at the four, and then Davis at the five. Kevin, respond to that. Uh, I like his argument about Drew Holiday. He said Solomon Hill in there as well. Obviously, uh, he matches up well with some of the better offensive wings in the NBA. But do you see Solomon Hill at full health, maybe in his 16-17 version of himself in the starting lineup? I think if he is, that means that Randall isn't. Um, I think the, this is what I think they're going to do. I think it's going to be Peyton, Holiday, Moore, Randall, and Davis. What I personally would do is Peyton, Holiday, um, Moore, Miritich, and Davis, and then bring Randall off the bench. Um, but, you know, either way is fine. But I, I think, I don't think Solomon Hill is going to beat out Etwan Moore for that starting spot. I think they want to keep Drew starting the game off the ball, um, get, get him going first, and then ease him into uh, being on the ball a little bit more to get that confidence going, get him comfortable, um, which we've seen a lot. And I, I think that's the way to go. Um, one thing also I think we're counting out is, 
can Frank Jackson beat out Ian Clark for for minutes in in uh in the off season, you know, in the in the preseason and training camp because I think they're really high on Frank Jackson. You know, Ian Clark was sort of a last minute addition again on a minimum contract. Frank Jackson is tied to the team for longer, so it would benefit them more if he was able to take the step up and stick with the team and be the guy to fill that role. So we could possibly even see uh, Frank Jackson being a guy that plays a lot of minutes next to Drew Holiday this season too. But I think um, Alfred Payton and and Drew will be the starting backcourt to start the season, and they'll give Alfred Payton every chance to to lose that job. You know, like he'll – He'll be handed the keys, and then it's, if he loses it, then that's on him. Kevin, real quick, what's your starting lineup if Peyton doesn't get that uh, win that starting lineup job at a preseason? Peyton doesn't. Um, hmm. I think uh, I think I would go along with what you said, where Etwan becomes the starting two, and then you have uh, Hill at the three. And then, you know, like you said, take your battle. I would start Miritich because of Hill shooting, but um, you know, I don't have don't have a problem with Randall starting there either because he's gonna create space other ways through screens and his uh playmaking ability and the attention that he draws. Um so I, I I'm with you on that. Grub, let me change up this question a little bit for you because it's been a popular mm-hmm. topic of conversation. Without Rajon Rondo in the lineup, do you see Drew Holiday regressing? How much do you think uh, Rondo's veteran leadership impacted the way that Drew Holiday played last season? And do you think we could see a regression without his his leadership and his IQ? Well, I think the biggest part for for Drew, because we started to see improvement even before Rondo got back on um, Rondo got back on the court. Um, but I think the big thing for Drew was that he finally was able to convince himself that he was an elite player. And I know Rondo played a part in that because he was constantly in Drew's ear. Nade had been in his ear. and DeMarcus had been in his ear. Of course, Gentry ha- has been beating that drum for three years. Um, the only way I see regression for Drew, because I think once we got to the playoffs and we saw the edge that he was playing with, is if he, if he is forced to have to start to consider, you know, moving the ball a lot more. If he's put in that position where his job becomes to get assists because no one else can do it, then I think there will be a regression because we, because I think the consensus is that his best, uh, the best uh, style of play for him is going downhill and attacking the basket. But if he's initiating offense that pulls his aggressiveness back, um, he may end up shooting more threes than we'd like Drew to do because he's not a guy who typically shoots more than two or three a game. Um, and if, but if he's hanging out on the outside more creating the offense, that ball comes back to him, he may be uh, you know, upping his three-point attempts. Those would be causes for concern for me. Um, but I, I don't think there's a big fear um, for me that he's going to go back to being an inconsistent player or a guy that you worry about, um, especially at the, at the end of games. Um, I don't see that. But my concern really is about Peyton. Um, and just you've never seen him really grab the bull by the horns as far as running an offense. Uh, he's played the point guard position, but he's not run the point, you know, and that's what you want to see um, because you don't have those guys on the roster. Um, is it a necessity to have a bunch of point guards? No, but you'd like to see somebody who, when there's, it has to get done, can get everybody in position and run the offense. And I just, I never saw that out of Alfred Payton. I haven't watched a ton of him, um, so I'm like Ollie in that regard that I want to see more before I make a definitive judgment. 
on his ability to run an offense. But that's my concern is that who does run this offense? Who does initiate, um, you know, the attack? Because Randall can do some of it and Miritich can do a little bit, but none of those guys are as capable for an extended period of creating shots um, outside of, I guess, Drew because of his experience. All right. Now you guys kind of answered with your own personal preferences. Do any of you think that the starting lineups you discussed are going to be different than the ones that Alvin Gentry elects to go with? Mm. Yeah. With what I said, because I think that they are like Kevin said, going to give Alfred Payton every chance because they want to keep Drew holiday off the ball. But if they don't, I think that reinforces this, the belief that Randall should start because I've been watching him, and I'm telling you what, it's impressive how this guy can bring up the ball and make the right mm-hmm. play, right decisions, and hit the open guy. So in that regards, that's why I actually, even though I know you're losing the shooting, but, you know, Gentry, number one, wants the speed and the playmaking, and he does that infinitely better than Miritich. So for me, I'm tying um, Alfred Payton. If, if he's getting, if he's not going to win that starting job, then I think without a doubt Randall's going to be in that starting lineup, which is opposed to what you guys are thinking. That's what I think Gentry will see it that way too, because that he'll be able to push the pace better than Miritich could. And I just can't see them starting the three bigs together. It, to me, it no. just messes up the minutes. It, it really messes up the rotation to have all three of them on the floor together. Um, yeah, you hate to see them get into foul trouble early. Um, you know, any of those guys. Uh, and, and then you just, I, I think when you go to that second unit, if you don't have one of them uh, to, to, to keep that unit strong, there are enough question marks with the second unit that you worry about a fall off. And that's one of the reasons I, I would like to start Miritich first with Peyton, because then you can bring in Randall after and have like another decent playmaker from the post that can can help you in in that situation, you know, get the ball moving in that secondary in the in the second unit. And also, I mean, he would feast on second unit teams. I mean, like he's a monster. So um I think it's just maximizing your roster. You don't want to start off in an offensive hole if you have too many non shooters out there. Um but you know you can bring you can surround Randall with more guys that could shoot. Like you could have Etwan on the court, you know, Ian Clark or you know, whoever, like guys that can that can score and um, have him play making from the post a little bit. And set screens, you know, like like we said about, you were saying about Okafor, how he's the only guy that really set screens last year, but Randall's going to be a huge screen setter for us like we've never seen before. So looking forward to that. Preston, do we have any questions regarding Randall himself? Because I've got something I want to add to Kevin, but I don't want to take up too much time. Definitely. I was going to get to our friend Leo Nola Pelicans Reddit. Uh, He said in relation uh, to this starting lineup, is it going to be the same lineup to close? We'll circle back to that one and we'll go to hot Pelicans takes. He says, which one of Alfred Payton, Nikola Meritich and Julius Randle is most likely to have a breakout season? I think it's Randle. Yeah, it's Randall without a doubt to me too. But listen, this is an argument I want to address because everybody's saying how they think Randle's going to be able to just tear apart you know, reserve second teams um, coming off the bench. And I just watched a game last night where he destroyed Hassan Whiteside, James Johnson, you know, two pretty damn good defenders to where he scored 11 points in the first four and a half minutes against the Miami Heat when the Lakers weren't playing all that well. And um, and then I, I saw some other footage where basically it says to me, Randall isn't a guy that requires certain matchups to be successful. Not at all. 
this guy actually, I feel like, performs better against the bigger guys because he utilizes his speed better. As for bench and units, uh, you know, reserve units, they're more focused on being smaller, more kind of the, the small ball varieties uh, that teams like to employ, ones that aren't the Golden State Warriors or Houston Rockets. So I don't know. I just want to address that where I think Randall actually makes better sense for the starting lineup because that way he's right there alongside Anthony Davis and both of these guys are unguardable. I mean, I truly believe that there's no center in the game, really, that can handle these guys for a full 48 minutes. That's where, you know, Rudy Gobert or some other elite guy is going to have his moments. But overall, when you've got Randall and Davis side by side, I think that that would provide just as, you know, an effective two-headed uh, big man uh, unit, just like it would with Miritich and his outside shooting. So I just want to address what Kevin said, because I've heard that so much on Twitter for like the last weeks, months. And I don't believe it to be true. I think Randall can be just as successful against starters. I don't necessarily think that that's what those people are saying because that's not how I feel about it. I feel like I feel like you feel about it, but I just feel like imagine when he's playing the backups, and I feel like Miritich is a guy that would uh, rely more on be the space created from having Anthony Davis on the court, whereas Randall doesn't need it as much. That that's why I look I, at it that way. It's the same. We look, we view the player the same way. It's just uh, the way the the court looks when you know one of them's off and one of them's on. All right, I'm going to add to that, and then I'm going to circle back to one of the previous questions we had. I think Nico's definitely the one to come off the bench, simply uh, due to the fact to the reasons that you guys have said. But also, he's already done it. We've already seen him come off the bench in New Orleans, uh, specifically when Emeka Okafor was starting at the center position with Anthony Davis at the four, Etwan Moore at the three, and then Rondo and Drew at the one and the two. Uh, so it's a bit natural for him. I feel like the conversation probably with him being had by Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry is so look in the regular season. We're going to, we're going to pace out your minutes. You're going to play somewhere between 31, 34 minutes per game. Once we get to our late season push, just as we saw last year, we're going to insert him back into the starting lineup and he's going to play somewhere closer to 36 to 39 minutes per game. And then the Pelicans are definitely going to have to experiment with that three uh, big man rotation in the starting lineup. Uh, I'll, I'll, pass it back to you guys if you want to add anything to that feel free but let's let's go ahead and get your take who is the closing five because last year we saw Nikola Meritich in some instances out of the closing five and instead Alvin Gentry chose to chose to go with uh, some version of Rondo Drew Etwan Moore Ian Clark Darius Miller Solomon Hill alongside Anthony Davis and we saw large portions uh, of games when both Nikola Meritich and Rondo were off the floor and he elected to go with with more shooting and and more guard heavy rotations either balancing that four with either Darius Miller or Solomon Hill. Who do you see, let's start with Ali, early on in the season as the closing five? Kristen, start with David. He hasn't gone yet. Oh, David, go ahead. Sorry, man. Yeah, I'll tell you the one thing is that I don't anticipate seeing Darius Miller closing as much because I think, you know, a lot of people say, well, Darius closed so many games last season. But when you look at his numbers in those closing um, moments, he, he didn't perform very well. I mean, he was the only starter in that group who shot less than 40% in, in clutch games of those 50 clutch games that the Pelicans played in. And so he really was not a great closer, just they had such limited options for the majority of the season. So, I, I, you know, I think the closing unit is still in a lot of ways to be determined because you don't know who can shoot yet and you don't know who can defend yet at some of these positions. Um, you know, I think obviously the big, those, those three forwards will get every opportunity to close if they can mesh together. Of course, Drew will be on the floor. But that fifth spot at right now, I would lean it towards Etwan 
because he has played very well in fourth quarters um, generally, and he did so as well in the playoffs. So I would think if you get the three bigs, um, Etwan and Drew, that would be my most likely group right now. But it's such a long way away, uh, you know, and that's before any trades happen, if the Pelicans bring in another three, whatever. Um, but that would be my guess right now. All right, Ali, let's circle back to you and then we'll get to Kevin. Who is your closing lineup? Um, and I, I don't mean near the uh, the end of the regular season or playoffs. Let's let's just stick to October, November at this point with who the Pelicans currently have situated on their roster. Who is closing games? I think it's going to vary game to game, but I've already mentioned that I like that bigger lineup to finish with Meritich, Randall, and Davis at the 3-4-5 because games slow down, especially in the fourth quarter in the last five minutes of games. Pace always drops off dramatically. So I can foresee those guys being able to handle it as well as they're simply the best players. And in today's game, positions really don't matter. As long as you can guard a couple of positions and uh, you, you can stand out and you're one of the better players on the team, you belong to be out on the court, period. So I think it's a no-brainer that it would be Holiday, uh, more Miritich, Randall, and Davis in a lot of instances. But otherwise, we have seen Gentry, as you just mentioned, go with smaller lineups, go for more speed. And I, I could maybe foresee that, especially if they're down. Because um, once you're ahead, you know, or, or it's a real close game, that big lineup makes sense. But if you're behind by, say, 8 to 10 points and you've got like six minutes, I think you do want to go smaller. And I think that's where either Clark or Frank Jackson, you know, if he shines well, he makes sense. And they could go smaller. And thereby, you know, Moore's playing at the three. Maybe if Alfred Payton is playing really well, um, he's able to, like, generate that kind of pace that you like and easy uh, – baskets as Rondo did then maybe he's an option but yeah I think Gentry's going to be experimenting to start the season is what we're going to see and it's all going to come down to how is Peyton going to look in preseason and the first few weeks of the season can he be relied on to run the offense and hold his own defensively you know that's where it's going to start with him and then everything else will you know be like a domino effect all right Kevin close it out for us yeah, Holly stole a little bit of my thunder there with, I, I think it's, you know, variant upon situation, but, you know, in an ideal world, you want Miritich, Davis, uh, Randall, I think Etwan Moore and Drew Holiday as the closing five. I think those are your best five players. And I think Randall uh, has enough, is quick enough and has enough versatility defensively that you don't have some of those problems that they had before where they had to go smaller or, you know, um, and then they can create their own mismatches because they have that size and rebounding and defensive defensiveness and length and uh, still have offensive firepower. But I think those are, you know, until I see more from other players on this roster, I think those are your five best players. And so those are the five players you want to roll out there. All right. Uh, let's circle back to that hot Pelicans take question. Uh, which of Alfred Payton, Nikola Meritich, and Julius Randle is most likely to have a breakout season in their contract year? And obviously, you guys are pretty much in agreement that it's Julius Randle. But why doesn't why don't one of you um, take take a moment and argue why Nikola Meritich could enjoy a better season than Julius Randle? You do it, Preston. You wrote that article, man. You uh, do it. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear from me. Uh, yes, we do. It was a great uh, article. All right. Um, Julius Randles is is a natural fit uh, next to Anthony Davis, and I do think he's going to enjoy a pretty great year. But uh, also, Nikola Miritich coming off the bench, uh, he's in all likelihood is going to get the bulk of his minutes there in all of our estimation. He's going to have the opportunity to kind of spearhead that second unit and kind of collect his, as they say, uh, get some more shots up, 
Uh, his confidence grew exponentially towards the end of the season into the postseason. You can tell he's just comfortable in New Orleans and he's coming into his own in the playoffs. He exploded against the Trailblazers 14 points. I want to say it was in game game three. It was either game three or game four in the first quarter. Uh, you you can just see his game all coming together. And we know that he's kind of a streaky shooter. His first month in New Orleans, he shot just 39 and 30% uh, from the floor. So he he is prone to slumps being a long distance shooter and, and a guy who who can be streaky, gets hot and cold uh, from time to time, where Julius Randle is just a bulldog. And if he can't get a shot to, to, you know, fall in from 15 feet, he can just take it to the basket and just quite literally knock guys over. Nikola Meritich is a bit more finesse than that. Uh, but with that being said, he's going to get every opportunity, like we've said, if Alfred Payton comes off the bench. Payton is is kind of a timid shooter. He he can be aggressive at times and charge the basket. But for the most part, he likes to set up his teammates. That's why you see those those stat lines of, you know, 15, 11 and, and 11 or kind of similar to Rajon Rondo, those 11, 10 and 10. So he's going to be looking for Nico if he's quarterbacking the second unit. So Nico's going to be in position to collect a lot of those statistics. You'd have to think that he's probably going to get a lot of his minutes at the five, if not at the four coming off the bench. He's probably at at all times, there's going to be some version of two of the three on the floor. And Nico pairs so well with Anthony Davis. Uh, but it, it will be interesting to see the two of them, uh, Julius Randle and Nikola Meritich, how they fit together. But if Nico is at the five and Anthony Davis comes in in some minutes in the second quarter, uh, you can see Nico getting a lot of those rebounds just by point of fact of being in the paint, managing the center position. So anyway, uh, long story short, I, I see a great opportunity for him He's going to get more minutes than he ever has before. He's never played 30 minutes per game in a season. That's got to rise this year. He's got to play somewhere between 31, 34 minutes, especially as if if an injury should take place, as Ali mentioned. I don't think Anthony Davis has ever played more than 75 games, although he's done it in back-to-back seasons. So that's at least seven more opportunities for Nikola Meritich to get into the starting lineup. But I think he's prime candidate for that six-man uh, spot of the year. And with that spot comes notoriety, comes attention, and comes a big payday. So even if they have very similar numbers, just with that offseason award, as as well as the success he had in the Portland Trailblazers series, I, I think there is a possibility that that both of these guys are going to get paid. They're both going to perform well. But I... It'll, it'll be interesting to see how they both handle negotiations if they both come out of the season averaging 18 and 10, but Nikola Miritich having won six man of the year award. Uh, all I'm going to say is I expect big things out of him, and I, I definitely am rooting for the Pelicans to re-sign him. I think Julius Randle is also some Pelicans are very confident they can bring back, but just based on how we've seen Nikola Miritich already fit Anthony Davis, I think it's absolutely imperative that the Pelicans bring him back, but he's a nice trade piece in addition if it doesn't work out. Anyway, I've been talking for about four minutes. We'll go ahead and transition out of this. Is is there anything you guys want to add to this? Yeah, I, the the only worry I have for Miritich, and it's it's not a big one because it's not about him in particular. It's more the way he got going when he was in that shooting slump was getting a lot of shots, um, moving, cutting uh, in and around the basket. He was uh, he wasn't just standstill shooting. He was getting found, uh, and that's the main thing. Is like. You want to see that the offense still finds that flow for him to make sure that he's not forced into the position of just being a standstill shooter because we know he has the skill set to finish around the rim with either hand. We know that he can you know, uh, move without the basketball and, and, and finish on the run. So that's the main thing for, for me is just can the offense still get him those shots in that position 
Um, and, and I know he'll continue to be active. It's just, we'll, we know Alfred Payton, like you said, likes to set people up. But this is a different offense than what he's run previously. So will he and, and Nico, how quickly do they mesh and see each other? Because otherwise, I think in that second unit, when he and Randall are playing together, I think that's a very good match passing-wise because they will put Randall at the top of the key um, at the free throw line extended, and he can pick apart people and find Nico cutting to the basket. And even if he's on the block, he can kick out to Nico for open threes. But I just worry from the perimeter side, are they going to be able to find him screening and moving? Here's my best argument for Nico having um, the best best season out of those three names you mentioned earlier, Preston, is simply because of his three-point shooting. As to where, David, you're saying you may be a little bit worried about his chances of getting good shots. I'm not. He played on a couple crappy Bulls teams. And you know what? He averaged oh, well over eight uh, three-point attempts per 36 minutes. And that's pretty much been like his uh, status quo throughout his career here in the NBA. To where he, he just launches them left and right, regardless of what, what kind of team he's on. So he, he's, a, he's a pure scorer, pure shooter, to where he's going to somehow find his little shot his little alley, whatever you want to call it, and get his shot off. So I'm not too worried about that at all. But the reason why I find him most interesting is I think there's a chance he could wind up being the Pelicans' most important and best three-point shooter. Um, each one more had a great season last year, but you know what? The year before, he shot 37%. As for right. Miritich, when he was with the Bulls, he hit just about 43%. The year before, 37 He had an off year before that at 34 but before that was 39 So you know what? This guy honestly looks like almost a better version of Brian Anderson to me. And he could, you know, come out of the gates hot. And then therefore you've got to play him huge minutes. Cause as, as we all know, Gentry needs some uh, dependable outside shooting to make this work for Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis to have their space. And I think Miritich could be the guy that could be w- the most dependable guy for those two guys and create that space for him. So yeah, just to add to your argument, Preston, I can easily foresee him uh, having a better season than both Randall and Peyton. Yeah, I don't think the gap is wide between Randall and, and um, Miritich as far as to who you, you know, I think that vote could be in either or depending on the day of the week. So, yeah, I don't think there's a, I mean, I think it's good to expect big things out of Miritich, and I think it's fair to expect big things out of Randall. And I think everybody's going to be cautious about Peyton until you see something. I mean, I, I think that would be the evaluation that most reasonable people would make. I have a little bit of a different take on the question because the question is who's most poised to have a breakout season. I think we've seen, uh, you know, Miritich had a lot of buzz his rookie year, and then we've already seen him be a great fit during the playoff stretch. Um, Randall's coming from the Lakers, a team where, uh, you know, if you're on the Lakers or in the Knicks, you're always sort of overhyped and overvalued anybody doing well, but he was playing great for the Lakers. And uh, I think everybody sees him as an improvement for the style of play over the, what we had with the Marcus Cousins. And you add that with Miritich. So I think the expectations are high for those guys. Nobody expects those guys to be letdowns. Whereas we have Alfred Payton, who has sort of been a question mark. He's, he's had those moments where he's strung together triple doubles to close out seasons. Um, you know, but even locally, even though he's a local guy, some, some people are high on him. Some people are extremely low on him. He's the question mark. So for me, he's the guy that's most poised to actually have a what I would call a breakout season because I think we're all expecting, and I think there's very little doubt that Miritich and Randall are going to be, you know, close to twenty point scores, close to double digit rebounders. Um, whereas 
Peyton is the question mark. And I think if him playing in a system with better players, a system that could possibly fit his skill set better, make his life easier, he could be the one that really exceeds expectations. This is the one that people would look at like, well, we didn't see this coming. Whereas I think if Miritich and Randall are playing great, we're going to be like, yeah, we expected that. Um, so that's just my different take on that answer. What does a breakout look like for Peyton? I'm just asking because I'm, I'm um, I think efficient scoring, um, you know, a guy who's running the offense well, um, a guy who's solid defensively, living up to the defensive expectations he had coming out of college, a guy who's making his teammates better around him, um, a, you know, a, basically a replica of what Rondo did or our step up above what Rondo did, I think is, uh, you know, would qualify as a breakout season. It doesn't necessarily have to be shooting uh, improvements. I just think playmaking defense on, on the floor uh, leadership and getting the offense run and making the players around him better. And I think that's uh, would you know, Paul, you know, if you're not looking at him, like this guy's turning the ball over, he's a defensive sieve. He's, you know, he just looks lost out there or he's, or, you know, he's causing spacing problems because of his inability to score. If he's getting to the rim and finishing, if he's setting people up, if he's playing solid defense, um, you know, if he's 12 points, 10 assists a game, a uh, couple steals, and and obviously not hurting the defense, I think he's more of a breakout, you know, what will, what everybody will call a breakout season because he was less expected to be that. All right, before we move on, uh, I just want to touch on one more thing. Uh, we've, we've been talking in pretty great detail about the Pelicans looking to upgrade through trade via whether it be Solomon Hill or Alexis Agenza or some combination of smaller salary players or the trade exception. But Nikola Miritich could be an option for the Pelicans if they wanted to take a big swing as somebody with a large contract, somebody like a Chris Middleton. Uh, he would be very appealing to a lot of teams across the NBA uh, if the Pelicans chose somebody like a Harrison Barnes. I think the Pelicans are are very high on Nikola Miritich, and it would almost take an all-star level talent in order for them to consider dealing him. But if the Pelicans do choose to go that route, I don't think Julius Randle is somebody they would move off on just based on the conversations he had with Anthony Davis over the offseason. And somebody like an Etwan Moore and a Solomon Hill might not be enough. So, uh Nikola Miritich, I, I would hope that wouldn't be something the, the Pelicans would consider, but you never know. He could be a very valuable trade chip going forward. Let's go ahead and move on from this topic. Uh, this is from Tejeda, and he was piggybacking off of some of the questions we were talking about earlier. He said, how important do you think motivation is for Alfred Payton and Julius Randle? Uh, personally, I think that motivation is as good as he's assuming this team will be scary. And I'm going to bring up this article that I found uh, on uh, both muscle and fitness as well as USA Today. And this is, of course, referring to Julius Randle's body transformation last year. Early on in his career with the Lakers, uh, fitness and playing its way into shape through the regular season was a, a very real concern. And then last offseason, as part of some three-week body transformation thing that he underwent, he ended up losing some more close to 20 pounds. Uh, he got himself down to 6% body fat. I don't know if you guys are privy to this information, but just based on the body transformation that Julius Randall put in last summer, you'd have to think that he probably has the motivation and quite obviously the coaching to take it to the next level, even this summer. 
Do any of you think that Julius Randle is going to come into this regular season in even better condition than he was last year? And do any of you think that Alfred Payton, so too, will follow that, I don't know, seeming transfer, uh, transformation as part of a much better team than he was on previously? And uh, let's let's start with Grubb. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think motivation is a question for any of these guys. Um, they're all in the final year of their contracts, but even before that, um, none of them have exhibited the kind of behavior that would make you um, question their dedication to the game or their professionalism. Um, you know, I think with Alfred Payton, his biggest issues aren't physical. They're, you know, I, I think they're more mental and, and, and his understanding of what he's being asked to do and what his teammates are going to do on a night-to-night basis. Obviously, consistency was an issue in Orlando and in, to a, a, another extent in Phoenix. So I think his his motivation has always been there. And I think there's going to be pressure on him because he is coming back home. Uh, physic- but physically, I'm not as concerned. Uh, I think with Randall, too, um, you know, part of it is just learning how to be a professional. You come into the league, Anthony Davis got bigger physically. You see, I mean, you just see guys understanding that as a pro over the course of 82 games, you're going to get beat up. And you need to be able to take that and withstand that physical, uh, you know, uh, physical beating. I mean, we've seen it all across the league. Guys like Draymond Green, who figured out that he needed to lose 20 pounds to be a truly effective NBA player. So I don't think motivation is going to be an issue at all. I think this team is, um, as a group, knows what's at stake here. Um, there's a, you know, again, it's a lot of guys who are either in the last year of their contract or on one-year deals. And there's this expectation by both the fans um, and the team that they need to at least get back to the level that they were at last year, if not surpass it. Um, so, yeah, I don't question the motivation or as a as a uh, driving force for this team at all. All right. Let's swing it over to Kevin. Uh, why don't you guys check your your Twitter DM inbox? I, I showed uh, you guys a picture of his transformation. It's 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 mind blowing uh, how different he looked over the course of three weeks. It's hard to believe that these are real. Uh, Kevin, what what are your thoughts on the motivation of these guys? coming into a, a different environment, an environment of winning, of guys who have expectation going into the regular season in Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis, do you think it, it elevates their performance or do you think it, we kind of get a glimpse of, of what we've already seen from these two guys in their previous stops? Well, I think Randall, I mean, obviously the, the transformation shows how motivated he is. And I, the, if nothing changes with that, it doesn't mean that he is slacking off. I mean, it's really hard to, shape your body even better than it is shaped for him at this moment and I think you know he has a lot of motivation because of the fact that he's on a contract that's way less than what his market value is and that he wasn't viewed as a as a part that they wanted to use in LA when they bring a guy like LeBron over and they're going to be competing for uh you know the playoffs and trying to make a run at the Western Conference Finals um and he was viewed as expendable um so he has a lot of motivation there, but that's never been a question with him. We've seen how hard he works. I mean, we've seen him play. He's diving all over the place on bad Lakers teams, you know, uh, playing super aggressive, extremely motivated. So I don't have any uh, reservations or questions about his motivation. Peyton could be different. You know, I don't really know what was going on in Orlando, but it could easily you could easily see a guy uh, – getting disenchanted when, you know, constant coach turnover, you know, you're not competing for anything. You're getting moved in and out of the starting lineup. You don't have good players around you. You don't have uh, solid veterans around you that are 
helping you uh, learn how to be NBA players. There's no culture developed there since he's been there. Um, whereas now he's coming into a team that has developed a culture and is adding you know, players like Randall and players like Miritich. And you have a Drew Holiday and you have an Anthony Davis and you have an Emeka Okafor and even a guy like Eton Moore, who's a hard worker and a very professional guy. And I'm sure Ian Clark is as well. Um, you know, I know he was well liked in Golden State in the locker room. So I think he's entering a, a new world almost in the NBA where his expectations, like the expectations of him will be higher and what his teammates expect him to be doing off the court and on the court and in practice and in the weight room. And all that is, you know, going to be much higher. And I think, uh, you know, this is like sort of a make it break for him a little bit because you see a guy who came in, um, you know, who who put up, you know, numbers here and there, but never really got a foothold in the league. And now uh, was he like a top five pick? And now he's basically just above a minimum contract guy on a one year prove it deal. So now and now he's on a team that was you know, sixth in the, in the West, very tough conference and possibly has gotten better with the addition of Julius Randle to what they had to close out the season and expectations are high, even though the West is tough. Um, so it's kind of like a prove it year for him. And if he's not motivated and if that culture isn't reaching him, then he might be a lost cause. But I think, you know, we've never had any stories of him being like a guy who's, uh, you know, not motivated or whatever, but this will be a great litmus test to see how motivated and a hard worker he is. Uh, before we get to Ali, Alfred Payton was taken 10th overall. It was actually the 76ers draft pick oh, right. uh, that, yeah. the, that the Pelicans sent to them in the Drew Holiday deal. And then the yeah, Orlando right. Magic at 12 gave Dario Saric in exchange for Alfred Payton, as well as uh, some future picks that I don't remember offhand. Let's go back to Ali and let's 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 circle back to some of the things that Kevin was talking about and and just talk about why. Alfred Payton and Julius Randle's play could elevate in New Orleans, specifically about Alfred Payton. This is a guy whose stock has fallen uh, incredibly, as Kevin was just mentioning. He's coming home. Uh, He played at John Errett High School. He has all the opportunity and probably the freedom, if the Pelicans choose to bring him off the bench, then he'll, he'll have he'll have pretty much every opportunity to manage the offense and succeed with no pressure on him whatsoever. Do you think that it translates to to his game and he can put it all together in New Orleans? I think there's a chance, of course, but you've got to worry about a guy who was picked as high as he was, rated as high, high as he was in college, you know, talked about supposed to be one of the best point guards coming in, especially with that class, and he hasn't succeeded. Most rookies, you know, of his ilk get really nice extensions, usually max extensions. And obviously just the opposite happened with him where he's, he was treated like basically towards the end of a first round dra- uh, draft pick and just, you know, sent, traded to another team as kind of a chip for anything that another team could get. So it doesn't get any lower than that. And what troubles me is, and I'll just bring this up. I was watching Randall, as I mentioned earlier, guys, and the way he started off against Hassan Whiteside and the Miami Heat. And, and he just basically came out like gangbusters. And then when I watched Alfred Payton and he actually played the Lakers, um, it was a January 31st game, I believe, matchup. Tyler Innes, of all people, Tyler Innes, second possession of the game for the Lakers, blows right by him and gets to the free throw line. As to where Alfred, to me, looked, you know, step slow, didn't really try to recover hard, any of that. And he kind of just kind of jumped through the first two minutes of that game. 
And of course, he's in his fourth year. He's kind of already been surrounded by a lot of questions. You know, can the Orlando Magic rely on him? And, you know, with each passing year, it was becoming less and less. And here he is in his fourth season coming out in some random January game, coming out sluggishly as he did. That scares me. Now, I know that, Preston, everything you've said, everybody else has said about him changing his environment, getting away from these losing uh, franchises, getting away from that mentality, whatever may have been holding him back. Sure, that's potentially there, but you've got to wonder, truly, does he have it in between his own ears to spur him on? As for Randall, and you mentioned the pictures uh, of the best shape in the world he got, and on top of that, you combine it with his warrior mentality. This guy doesn't like to lose. You see the way he dies after the court or all over the court. And he almost broke Anthony Davis's legs one game. I remember sitting there with David Grubb up in the media <laughs> section. We were legitimately worried that Anthony Davis was going to get hurt by this guy. Alfred Payton is the direct opposite. You know, he, he doesn't come out with a fiery passion. He's had questions about his motivation, his motor. And then I'm referring to just some random game that I watched. Of course, it's just a few minutes. And then, you know, and then you've got to wonder, is he a guy that's going to seize an opportunity? And you know what? I mean, I wouldn't bet on him doing it. I mean, I don't want to sound too negative here, but that that's a legitimate question. I hope fans are getting, a, you know, I feel like they're a little too excited. They're, they're not factoring in everything that they should be because it looks good. Some of the raw numbers look good, right? He's still young. He uh, is going to be surrounded by better coaching. At least that's what everybody thinks from a development standpoint. You know, there's a lot of positives. But again, it's going to come down to him and his approach and how much does he care. For instance, I noticed Randall the other day. He's uh, working out with a couple of the Pelicans ball boys. Uh, he's already getting a good sweat. I'm yet to see anything like that from Alfred Payton. Not that he's not, but, you know, there's no signs for me yet to get legitimately excited about. Maybe he can turn it around. Hasn't been there yet for me. So I'm not as positive, I think, as, you know, the majority of Pelicans fans. One thing I would say to counter that real quick is that we've seen, I mean, not that they're the same player, and obviously Oladipo did look better when he played in Orlando than Alfred Payton has, but Oladipo now compared to, you know, he he left, like Orlando basically gave up on him, sent him away. He went to OKC and he still didn't look that great, but he, he learned, he reshaped his body based off of the work that he learned from uh, Russell Westbrook. And then now the Pacers, he's phenomenal. Um, so, think, oh, you know, Alfred Payton possibly could blossom a little bit in that same sort of situation where he comes in. He has guys like Randall and AD and Drew that, sure. you know, get him on track. You know, that could be, you know, that's something to look at. There is an example coming straight from that exact organization he came from of a guy totally transforming and blossoming into a star. I, Not that I, I think, think well, Ollie, is Old Depot's, you know. Yeah, I think that's what the, the difference to me would be from what Ali's saying is Oladipo displayed the fire from the beginning, though. You never question, there was never a question of Oladipo's competitive spirit, his willing to, willingness to fight on defense, even if he was making mistakes, and even offensively, his aggression. So I think, I think that's what Ali's trying to say is that, I mean, I guess it's just, where's that spark? Do you get the spark um, for, from Peyton that he's going to give you um, on a night-to-night basis, the energy level, the attention to detail, that forcefulness from the position that you need. Yeah, um, that, that's, my, that's my whole argument, Preston. I want you to add to this, is I am talking about his floor, which is an awfully low, outside of the NBA, potentially, floor for him. 
and you can add to it because I'm beginning to see what you've been arguing about the last few months about or whenever since the Pelicans signed them. So please give us your two cents on him. Uh, nobody wants to hear me talk negatively about Alfred Payton. I've been getting killed on, on Twitter. Um, honestly, like he, he has all the measurables um, offensively. We know that he's going to show out from game to game. He's, he's very streaky in terms of his aggressiveness. He, he does have the the faculties to put together those Rajon Rondo type numbers on a night to night basis. Uh, fans will be thrilled. Like his first two games in Phoenix, for example, he came out with something like, I don't remember like 20, uh, 20, 12 and 10, two games in a row and every, but then you see the positive minus in his box score and it's still a negative 10. So you have to think that something just is, is missing there. And also in terms of um, not, not just on court, but off court uh, veteran leadership, this isn't a guy who, who talks. He's, he's very timid. He's a very quiet, quiet young man. He's, he's very nice, but He's he's just quiet. He doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't really respond a lot to the media. Uh, you don't see him cracking up with his friends the way that you did with with Shelvin Mack and DJ Augustine. And there was there was a divide in the Magic locker room. And I'm not saying that it was Alfred Payton's fault because it definitely wasn't. He's the quietest uh, mannered guy of the bunch. But those guys didn't like each other, and there was a chemistry missing. You would you would see quarters where guys weren't passing the ball to each other, and while he wasn't the direct cause of that, he was involved in it. He's not the type of guy who's like dabbing his teammates, like "Come on, guys, let's get it, let's go after it." Um, and and defensively, as you as you mentioned, that was something that Philip Rossman Reich talked about on the podcast was when they got Alfred Payton, they really and truly wanted that defensive ace, the guy who got the Lefty Drizzle Award, uh, pairing him with Victor Oladipo, pairing him with Drew Holiday could be the most terrifying uh, backcourt in the NBA if he defensively could stick up to the measurables that we saw in him coming out of college. But like you said, it just, it just doesn't appear that the aggressiveness is there on a night in night out basis. Now we're all hoping we've got our fingers crossed that it's, he's going to put it all together in new Orleans. And a lot of people have been talking about pace, the pace that he likes to play at. And Dell Dempsey even mentioned that he's very successful uh, when, when the Orlando magic were pushing the pace, that's true. But in half court sets, this guy is a ball stopper. He's a ball watcher. He can't, he can't move off of the ball. He needs to create for himself. He needs to facilitate. He needs to manage the offense. And when you've got electric and dynamic playmakers like Drew Holiday, like Etuan Moore, like Nikola Meritich, like Julius Randle, the ball's going to have to move. And then, you know, you kind of, you kind of take his strong suit away from him in that instance. So I definitely think he can be productive in New Orleans. I just think it has to be on the bench. I I don't think you can start him. I think you need to let him do what he does best, which is quarterback the offense, and you need to hide him next to an adept defender like an Etuan Moore or like a Drew Holiday coming off the bench, and just let him go out there and dish his assists. Let him go out there and create, get to the paint, be aggressive, and have those guys harp on him. Keep being aggressive. We want you taking 15 shots. We want you taking 20 shots. Don't fade to the background. Don't, Don't start ball watching Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday get in there and get yours. I think those guys have to push him from the get-go to be that aggressive playmaker and to go out there and be decisive. Um, and I think they're going to get that. And then after that, it just becomes what can Darren Ehrman uh, translate in terms of defensive capability. Because like Ali said, this is this is a guy who's very absent-minded defensively. Of course, he has the measurables. He has the wingspan. He has the body position. But 
when when movement is happening offensively, he simply just lets it happen around him. There's no communication. There's no fighting over screens. Anyway, I'm I'm talking for for a while. We're already over an hour, so let's go ahead and move on. Does anybody have anything to add? Basically, in summary, I think that Alfred Payton can put it together. I just think he has to come off the bench. Does anybody have anything to add to that? Just one quick devil's advocate to that. A lot of what you said about him just now is stuff that we also used to say about Drew Holiday in terms of aggressiveness and awareness. And, you know, you could think back to the Instagram story of Anthony Davis and the crew making fun of Drew Holiday while he was at Bible study, you know, and all of that changed when the culture in New Orleans changed. So there is hope, you know, that's all I'm going to say aggressiveness yes kevin but ability no and i saw drew holiday's ability from the first game i ever watched him play you know even when he was in new orleans you saw his ability to stay with a guy defensively or you know get a block shot get a steal do something and i swear to god i haven't seen that of peyton yet so i see a big difference i don't like that analogy personally yeah, and I, I, he's obviously not the shooter that uh, Drew Holiday, the, the bulk of his playmaking and his shooting comes within 12 feet, so he is going to have to attack, and that's also why I think Nikola Miritich is a natural fit on the court with him, because you're you're going to want that that 4-1 uh, spacing with one guy in the paint, whether it be Julius Randle or Anthony Davis, just giving Alfred Payton the the amount of space he needs to work. Let's go ahead and move on. I, I just a- admonished you guys in the group chat for, for talking too long, and then I went on a five-minute spiel, so my Apologies. Uh, we have five questions left. Uh, we're going to start with Solomon, and I'm going to shoot this over to Grub. And this one is just referencing Anthony Davis being so calm about DeMarcus Cousins leaving town and going going to Golden State. Of course, he said he was shocked that he went to Golden State, but not necessarily that the Pelicans lost uh, him. And we've we've had a lot of rumors about DeMarcus Cousins and his time with the Pelicans. Were you surprised, David? that Anthony Davis wasn't more taken aback at losing DeMarcus Cousins? No, just because of the information that we've gotten over the course of the year. And then the second part is that's just not AD's way. He's not going to go out and talk negatively about anybody. He's not going to be um, emotional outside of the court. Um, That's just not who he is. I respect that about him. Um, And I think he's not looking backwards. He knows this is a new team that he's going to have to lead. DeMarcus was yesterday. No matter how much he might have liked yesterday, the page has been turned. All right, Kevin, you want to add to that? No, I agree. I mean, we think uh, we we knew a lot was going on, and it's not really much of a surprise that he wasn't, especially once they asked him, and it was already after they signed Randall and got a replacement who fits well. Uh, it, it wasn't a surprise. All right, Ali, I think this one was from Jomo. I accidentally erased the name because this person asked a, a second question. But their first question was, in what ways do you see our coaching staff better handling teams with taller shooting guards and small forwards? And I'll reference the way that Andrew Wiggins kind of carved up Etwan Moore uh, back in February. How do you think the Pelicans are going to handle those six foot eight scoring wings? Yeah, that's really all that you worry about. I don't worry about having being undersized on offense because that was really not a problem last season. It's just defensively. And again, it's going to come down to, I think, honestly, having Randall and Miritich play some, or guarding some small forwards in certain situations where their versatility, even AD, I think that's what they're going to rely on, having more of a team um, like an amoeba kind of in a sense defense as to where they're really going to try and swarm and help each other whenever they want, because they all probably all feel capable of switching off just for a possession or two. I think that's going to be key. 
because we're, we're, we're not about to land or start any guy that's going to be six foot seven, eight, nine, that can guard the Durants and the Kawhi Leonard's and LeBron James's. That's not going to happen. But I think from a team defensive standpoint, that things are going to be much, much better. Just replacing Randall and Miritich with all those mis- minutes of uh, DeMarcus Cousins from a year ago, uh, all those minutes of Rajon Rondo now being replaced by probably not Peyton, but you know, just in general sense by everybody else that's going to be performing at a higher level. That's where you're going to see the improvements, and that's where you're going to see the translation in the advanced numbers to where the Pelicans are just going to simply play better defense, um, you know, just just from uh, an eye test or whatever kind of test you want to uh, take. All right. Anybody want to add to that one? Uh, let's yeah. let's just talk about some names in in general, like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Who are you matching up against those guys? Well, I would say also you got to remember we're going to get a healthy Solomon Hill back, which will yes. help situations. And I think Julius Randle's defensive versatility will allow you to shift around and maybe have Etwan Moore playing more, even if he, even if he's playing the small forward, be able to, on offense, uh, be able to guard the two guard. And then we've already seen Drew Holiday cover the you know, the bigger uh, small forwards for stretches as well. So I think those combinations were just having a healthy hill and Randall's versatility um, and just Randall's presence because we didn't have that guy in the playoffs um, will help in those situations. David, let's just talk about Solomon Hill briefly. Um, coming back from his hamstring injury, obviously he had to play himself back into NBA ready shape, but we did have a pretty good sample size. I want to say it was 25 games, obviously nine playoff games and somewhere around 15 regular season uh, games. So we did see a pretty good sample size and he just didn't look to be ready. Do you have any fears in the back of your mind that maybe it wasn't due to playing himself out of shape, maybe Solomon Hill is just not going to be effective in the starting lineup for the Pelicans. And how much of a leash do you think they give him before they pull the plug on him if he continues playing the way he did at the end of the regular season? Yeah, I do have a lot of concerns about about Solomon Hill. Just um, how how does he fit into uh, you know both the team concept and just uh, as a guy who should get heavy minutes in this league in general. Uh, again, he's not a guy who shoots the ball particularly well. He doesn't handle the ball particularly well offensively. Um, he doesn't create for others. And then defensively, he, like you said, he just looked a step slow. He doesn't rebound um, exceptionally well at his height. So if he's not defending the perimeter at an elite level, I just he does not give the Pelicans a whole bunch of value. Um, and that's always going to be my concern with him. And I don't think they have the ability to just give him minutes uh, indiscriminately. I think that they will give him opportunities because he is a veteran and he's somebody that they trust. But at the same time, like you said, this is about winning games. Um, and I think if he's not performing early, could find himself because of the ability of those other guys to switch defensively because of the tempo um, that they used to hide some of, you know, some of their uh, lesser defenders um, when Hill was out. Um, you know, I think that they have solutions to that if he does not come back to form. All right, Ali, uh, we've got a, another question. This one is from DJ underscore Dow underscore. He says, what is the win percentage Pelicans need to post so we don't hear the AD to Celtics chatter anymore? And I'm, I'm going to add on to his question. What is the likelihood that AD signs that Supermax 35% extension that he is eligible for this summer? I think the Pelicans have to start strongly. None of this hovering around 500 like they did last season. Uh, that's going to bring in more questions. So you want to 
have a fast start. I mean, do you guys even remember when the or and I, I know you do, Preston. Orlando Magic started last season eight and four, and everybody's talking about them as being a decent team out in the Eastern Conference. Of course, everybody, you know, that was a flash in the pan, but the Pelicans kind of need to have that start. If you have a fast start, it's going to keep all those uh, trolls, all those mass media national types that love to just pluck from the uh, small markets, especially the ones that have had an eye on Anthony Davis now for years, including pretty much everybody lives in Boston. So I think that's the easiest surefire way. You just start out of the gate strong. None of this, you know, I, and I know sometimes it is schedule dependent, or maybe you start a season with a key injury like the Pelicans seemingly have every year. So if they can just avoid that, they'll be fine. And all those kind of all that talk will kind of dissipate enough to where you won't hear it all that often. But as for AD, um, the chances of him signing, I think are are ridiculously high. I mean, I would put it right now better than probably 80 percent. Um, it, it's a lot of money. And again, they're as long as they're trending upwards, you know, Preston, that's what it's all about. Anthony Davis was legitimately just hoping to make the playoffs, even though he, I know he had said more than that after Cousins went down when he had that interview with Rachel Nichols. But behind the scenes, I'd heard that he just really wanted to make the playoffs. And, you know, when we saw them lose six to seven, nobody thought that was possible. Even when they brought Meritich over, uh, his first three games in uniform with Nicola, those were all three losses. You know, they didn't take off until getting that key double overtime win against the Nets and then took off from there. So if they're just, tre- if they can continue that trend, Preston, where they, not only make the playoffs, make it kind of comfortable and continue to make noise, uh, especially this upcoming season. I think, uh, I mean, again, it's at least 80% that he signs it next summer. Kevin, this is from Jamo. He says, if we lose in the first round of the playoffs, but win more than 48 games, would you consider that regression? No, I, I think uh, this team is, you know, health, health-wise is better than we were at the end of last season. Um, and I think... If you, I think the West is just tougher. So you, even if we lose more games um, or if we lose in the first round, uh, I don't necessarily think that this team regressed. I think this team is a better team uh, regardless. Um, So it's just, you know, everybody's going to have worse losses, but actually, uh, I mean, we're going to have some round table questions coming up this week that we've all answered already from the bird rights. And uh, I sort of talked about that, how, the West got better, but it also didn't. And I actually think the Pelicans are going to finish higher than they did last season. Um, but if they don't, I still don't think it means that they got worse. All right, let's get to our big question. And then we've got one more from William Smith. Before we get to that, Kevin just said that he thinks the Pelicans are better than they were last season health-wise. In terms of ceiling, we'll start with uh, we'll start with Grubb. Which which team with Rajon Rondo and DeMarcus Cousins at the lineup, let's say at the height of their powers against the Houston Rockets on January 26th, versus this team with Alfred Payton and Julius Randle in their respective places and possibly a healthy Frank Jackson, which team is better in your estimation, David? I would say this year's team is better for this for a couple of reasons. Number one is I think that they will be much better on the glass and defensively um, as a group. Uh, I think the internal chemistry should be better. Um, so I, I would I would bet on this year's team, um, that group, that core group being better. Now, again, I think last year a lot of guys played some of their career best seasons. So does that carry over is going to be a big issue um, beyond what Cousins and, and Rondo brought to the table, like your Etuan Moores, um, who played, you know, and Nico Miritich had a, a, an outstanding stretch there. But I think this year's team is better. I agree with Kevin on that. All right. What about you, Ali? 
I'm 100% agreement there with David. Um, I know everybody's talking about that Houston game or DeMarcus and everybody else like to point to that and say, look at what we can do at our best. But, you know, in those games, right before that, in those wins, here's a rundown for you. They beat the Hornets Mm -hmm. by five. They beat the Bulls by four, beat Memphis by seven, lost to Atlanta, beat a Boston team that was struggling by four, and beat a Knicks team by five. You know, those none of that screams, hey, we're one of the better teams in the NBA or in the West. So I, my money's on this one. And here's the other thing you got to look at. Last year, consensus was AD and uh, DeMarcus Cousins were, what, top 20, right, guys, would you say? And then Drew Holiday was looking right at 50-60. Now, and uh, I don't care what metric you take, whether it's like, for instance, ESPN's RPM has AD at 7, um, Drew Holiday 22, and Nikola Mirotic at 30. Then you throw in Julius Randle, who improved greatly. Um, each one more, who came in out of nowhere, I think, and he ranks, ranks really well with all the shooting guards in the league. He just doesn't shoot it as no, enough as, as these guys. But his true sh- shooting percentage, his ability to make that three-point shot, it's all right up there. And then, uh, you know, uh, whoever else I'm missing. So, on paper, this team looks to be a whole lot better. The fit is definitely better under Gentry. And we saw Gentry has always clamored for what? Having the right personnel. And he finally got that. When Cousins went down, they were able to play at the faster pace. And now suddenly you've added a lot more good talent to that system that fits. I think it's no question that should be this, uh, this, this coming season's team. All right, let's get to our last question. This is from William C. Smith. He said, if y'all could put one former Pelican Hornet on this year's team, who would it be and why? CP3 is kind of obvious, so let's skip him. Uh, uh, let's let's also take out – well, you guys can talk about Baron Davis if you want. I'm going to go with Trevor Ariza. Uh, obviously, he fits that need at the three. Uh, as we saw in the Lakers series, I want to say in 2010, he can score when needed when needed to. Uh, and, and we're talking about these guys in their prime, obviously. We're not talking about – whatever he is, 33, 34-year-old Trevor Reese at this point in his career. Let's start with uh, Kevin. Oh, for me, 100%, no doubt, Jamal Mashburn. The only well-rounded small forward we've had since he's had the team. Uh, He can defend, he can shoot, he can post up, he can pass. Uh, That one year we had before he was injured was incredible. Um, And I think, uh, you know, he would be a perfect addition to this team. Awesome. Uh, Ali, you want to take this one next? Um, yeah, that, that's a great answer. That probably would have been mine, too. So I'm going to go with a different name. I'm going to throw out Peja Stojakovic. You know, if we could get him in his prime to where with his size, he was, of course, everybody knows about his three-point sh- shooting and how ridiculously hot he would get and win games on his own. But this guy was also a pretty good rebound. You know, he could guard his pos- position well enough and get to the free throw line. So I would love to see an in-the-prime Peja join that or this uh, team. All right, Grub, close it out for us. Yeah, I have to agree with Kevin on Mashburn just because of the versatility, his ability to get up and down the floor, the ability to create plays, to score around the basket, shoot the three. I mean, yeah, you put him with this group right now, and you're talking about a 55-60 to win team. All right, that's it for now. Remember, you guys, if you like what you're hearing, do us a favor and spread the word. Uh, If you use Twitter, retweet, Facebook share, you guys know the drill. And, of course, thank you guys for sticking with us even in the quietest moments of the offseason. I've been your host, Preston Ellis, contributor to thebirdrights.com. Thank you to our guys, Ali Cosell, our editor-in-chief. 
David Grubb of Crescent City Sports, who I think is is uh, assembling papers right what? now. David, are you, are you putting a desk together? <laughs> what are you doing? I'm not man? doing anything. Uh, Kevin B for Bounce. You can follow him at Ali Cosell. Uh, Ali, what have we got happening this week? Well, yeah, you've already kind of mentioned that. We've got roundtables, so each day we'll have uh, one of those. And then I'm hoping to do a couple more articles. One, concentrating on Alfred Payton. And then I'm going to do another, hopefully, looking at, like, the offense or something like that. What we can expect, basically. All right, Kevin, what about you, man? What are you working on? Uh, well, you know, I answered the roundtable questions, obviously. And then uh, Chris Connor and I are teaming up on a piece where we both look at if we could combine two players on our roster to make a perfect player to fit the roster, uh, who would those be? We're going to do that. And then also um, I'm getting on my boy, Travis, uh, about um, going with me through the roster and start working on the their human design charts, uh, which – is just a weird way to look at uh, basketball and how people fit together. And I think it'd be kind of an interesting, different take on roster chemistry. And interestingly enough, uh, Rajon Rondo and Alfred Payton have the same exact human design chart, according to Travis, which I'll dig in deeper and explain all that in the piece more. Um, so, you know, we basically made an even swap, apparently, but we'll see. Um, and that's it for now. All right. And David Grubb of Crescent City Sports, what are you working on, sir? I'm just going to be looking at the Pelicans' defense and just seeing how their additions and subtractions are going to impact possibly what uh, Darren Herman does, how he implements these guys. Um, so I'm going to just try to dig into that and compare what they did last year and see what substituting them, the new group in could mean. All right. I've got some exciting news for you guys. I think next Sunday when we do this pod again, we might experiment with our first ever live podcast, and that could or could not involve some guest call-in. So if any of you guys have ever want to, wanted to be on the show and ask your question on the air live as we record it, that might be something that we explore next Sunday. We'll definitely go live, and I'm going to experiment with it. If it goes smoothly and successfully in our trial run, then uh, we might open it up to some callers. So we'll be like an actual radio show. Uh, but for now, thank you guys for tuning in. We're probably at the hour and a half mark. So we appreciate you guys listening to every single minute with us, spending your time with us. For now, let's go pals. Hope you've enjoyed listening to the bird calls on OTG and nothing but net here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm great, thanks. What if businesses could really understand how their customers feel, act on it, and make them feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management. For more, go to sap.com xm. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.